Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Well, good morning again. It's hour two of mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. It is. Uh, it's not Friday. It's Thursday, the 25th of May, 2023. This is, you know, we're fast approaching Memorial Day weekend. And so um, get your plans together for how you're going to live with deepest gratitude and give honor to those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice or made the ultimate sacrifice with their lives um, for the freedoms that we enjoy, including this one, which is broadcasting religious programming over the airwaves. Um, This freedom to speak and the freedom to believe and the freedom to broadcast, um, yeah, these freedoms aren't free. And so we want to be grateful to God and Jesus Christ for um, these unalienable rights, and we want to be grateful for those who have given their lives in physical sacrifice for um for these freedoms that we have in the United States of America and that people around the world enjoy as well, because you are very likely listening right now in someplace other than the United States. And so um, blessings to you this day under whatever circumstances you live um, as a believer. And thank you for joining us here uh, in the Faith Radio ministry. Um, What's hiding in plain sight or who is hiding in plain sight Um, where you live? And are you hiding in plain sight? Mm-hmm. Jesus once asked, once asked a question. It's recorded in Mark chapter 8. Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? Um, and then in Revelation 2.17, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Um, I, having eyes to see and having ears that hear, having the ability to perceive that which others do not see and to perceive in speech, what others do not hear, that is, that is wisdom. That is spiritual wisdom. It's spiritual insight. And so I want to just make us aware today of how we live as sometimes very secret agents. We're ambassadors of the king and the kingdom in the midst of the kingdoms of this world, no doubt about it. But sometimes we operate as kind of secret agents. And there's a piece in The New Yorker um, about hidden chaplains on Ivy League campuses. Hidden chaplains is the way that they're described. Now, the person writing the article never actually makes <laughs> makes the full connection, and so I'm going to make the full connection. Um, there are Christians serving in all kinds of roles and jobs and functions in every setting, in every community, in every place, at positions that we might in the world consider high and positions that in the world we might consider low. And they are, as this person describes, hidden chaplains. They are the people who um, who smile and greet and serve. They are the people who um, act with gracious compassion. They are the people who 
Um, Don't avoid others who are in distress, but move toward them with peace and calm. They are the people who rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. They are described in this article as hidden chaplains. And I'm thinking to myself, this is a chronicle of Christian behavior and people are noticing it. They just don't know what to call it when they encounter it. And that's okay with me. Where are you hiding in plain sight today? And do you feel unseen and unheard? Well, live with the knowledge that God sees you. He is Elroy. He is the God who sees. And live with the confidence that God hears you. And live with the confidence that even when um, you feel like you're going completely unnoticed, God notices. Just want to bring you that reminder today and then just also say, you know, there's people out there who are beginning to take note. I mean, this one writer is like, there's these hidden chaplains serving on these Ivy League campuses and, I mean, and in positions of service. I mean, we're talking here about the person who is running the card um, for the students at the end of the lunch line. And we're talking about um, the the person who is restocking books in the library. And we're, um, and we're talking about um, the person who is... Um, edging uh, the the grass around the miles of sidewalks. That's who we're talking about when we're talking about hidden chaplains. So where are you serving as a hidden chaplain today, a secret agent of the kingdom of heaven, a very ambassador in plain clothes? Yeah. Keep doing what you're doing and just know that God sees you. God's aware. God's taking note. And you are loved. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be back in just a moment. We're going to spend a little time remembering Tim Keller and hearing some of his final teaching to his church. We've been uh, acknowledging... The Life Well Lived by our brother in Christ, Tim Keller, um, a man who lived as a one who was prepared to die. We want to um, acknowledge some of Tim's final words to the Redeemer Church, which he planted and served for decades. And he offered three bits of advice from the prophet Jeremiah. And he did this in a video that he recorded um, for an event that Redeemer had planned for um, planned months in advance uh, for May the 19th, which also um, happened to be the day that Tim went to be in the fullness of the presence of the Lord. Um, and so this is, uh, this is some of the audio from that video, which aired before the gathering of the Redeemer Church on the night of Tim's death. And, um, Tim provocatively provides these three touch points. And the first one is uh, is the answer to the question, where are you living? So let me just ask you, where are you living? Are you, you know, are you seeking to live in the center of a safety zone in an inward facing church with a life that's safely isolated from people who are broken and hurting and lost? Well, maybe as a Christian, that's not exactly where we're supposed to live. Here's Tim Keller. Three pits of advice from the book of Jeremiah. So I have to read this to you. 
Uh, over the last couple of years, I've noticed that Jeremiah still speaks to me as somebody who's ministered in New York City. Uh, the first bit of advice is live on razor's edge. Live on the razor's edge. Many of you heard me say this before, but <laughs> Jeremiah 29 says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will pos- prosper. You say, what razor's edge? The Babylonians took the Jews to Babylon in order to destroy their culture, to destroy their faith. They assumed that if they moved into the city, they would assimilate, and their children, or certainly their grandchildren, would worship the Babylonian gods and just lose their identity as uh, Israel, as the people of God. And there were people who said, okay, we don't want that to happen, so when we get to Babylon, because we've been taken there by force, let's stay outside. Let's stay outside so we can keep our identity. And the Lord (laughs) says to them, I want you to move into the city, but I want you to keep your identity. I want you to increase the numbers and keep your faith, but at the same time, I want you to engage. I want you to seek its peace and prosperity. I want you to pray to the Lord for it. I want you to love it. That's a razor's edge. Engage, but at the same time, be different. Don't assimilate and just pick up all the views of the culture. But don't stay out, keep your skirts clean, denounce everybody. No. Live on the razor's edge. What does it look like to, um, to move into hard places and engage and pray and love, um, but to continue to be distinct as the people of God? And then when it comes to um, church and the blessings of God, um, what, are you, what are you thinking about? Are you thinking about getting your needs met, um, something that fits your preferences or satisfies your desires? Um, what, how do you think about the church and the purpose for it in a particular time and place? Do you have a consumer mentality? Let's listen again to Tim Keller as he makes the second point in casting this vision about the church today from the prophet Jeremiah. Number two, invest, don't just consume. Invest, don't just consume. In Jeremiah 32, right before the exile, I mean, the Babylonians are coming. Everybody knows everything's going to fall apart. And we're told, this is what Jeremiah says, My cousin Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the guard and said, Buy my field at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. So I bought the field. For the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says, Houses, fields, and vineyards will again be brought, will again be bought in this land. See, right now, if you live in the Ukraine, especially in the eastern Ukraine, uh, would you buy a piece of property? (laughs) Probably not. Why? Because you don't even know whether it's going to end up in Russia or if it's going to end up in the Ukraine. It would be a terrible investment. And that's exactly what Hanamel is asking Jeremiah to do. He's saying, please take this land off my hands. Give me some money so I can get out of here because the Babylonians are going to be here. And Jeremiah says, I know what God has said. Yes, there will be a conquest. Yes, there'll be a, uh, you know, an exile. But houses and lands will be sold here. I will bring the people back. I, I'm good on my promises. Look, don't just come here to consume. Don't just come to New York to say, I want to get this on the resume and have an exciting church experience and, you know, uh, go to all the great restaurants. Invest here. Jesus Christ says, I will build my church. He doesn't just say, I will build my church, except in big cities. I will build my church. So invest in the church. Invest your time. Invest your, yes, your money. Invest your, but invest your life. 
What are you investing right where you are in the midst of a culture that um, often presents opportunities for, you know, wringing hands and, um, and, and a desire to <laughs> depart from this place? Um, what does it look like to actually like move into a place and invest yourself there to put down roots, um, to grow and to flourish, to, um, to pray and to bless? And then finally, um, Tim is going to challenge us to forget our reputation. So what does that look like um, today? I mean, we're talking about Tim's reputation. He has gone to be with the Lord. And what is left is his reputation. So what does it look like to forget our reputation in the meantime, recognizing that after we're gone, people are going to talk about us? Lastly, forget about your reputation. Jeremiah 45.5, this is what Jeremiah says to his secretary, Baruch. Seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. Genesis 11 tells us that people tend to go to the city to make a name for themselves. They get excited. They're going to come. They're going to do well in their work. And by the way, ministers very often come to New York City to make a name for themselves. Just letting you know that. You know, I got a, I'm a minister in New York City. I'm cool. I'm going to do well here. Seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. Don't worry about your reputation. Don't worry about your credentials. Ministers do not identify. Don't make your ministry success your identity. So this, if things don't go well, you just feel like an utter failure. You just freak out. People don't make... Getting a big name in New York City, your main thing. Lift up Jesus' name. Hallowed be thy name. Forget yourself. Forget your reputation. Do what you can to lift up God's name. Seekest thou great things for thyself? Even New Yorkers, of course, all New Yorkers are seeking great things for themselves. No, no. Seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. Thank you for listening. Let's seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and acknowledge that everything else will be added unto us. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. All right, let's bring the mind of Christ to bear on uh, a couple of headlines here today. Uh, Depending where you live, actually... It doesn't matter where you live. Target is in the headlines, um, and maybe not for all the best of reasons. Um, So Target for a number of years um, has sold, um, procured and sold um, what what I would describe as pride merchandise, um, celebrating and advocating the celebration of or supplying for the needs of those who want to celebrate Pride Month with LGBTQ products. And um, they've done this for, I don't know, a dozen or more years. And this year, 
um, maybe because of particular products um, that are uh, designed for people who identify as transgender, um, maybe because of that, maybe because we just happen to be at that particular cultural moment. Um, but there was a tremendous uh, backlash <clears throat> and, and, and actually target employees um, who, by the way, have no control, no control whatsoever over what products their company sells and also have no control over where in the store those products are sold. Um, so just recognize that for just a moment. Like the employees of Target um, who are making minimum wage in your town or in your city um, stocking toilet paper, like, yeah, they're not the ones making the decisions about these things. And so be kind to them. Let me just start right there. And if I sound like I have my mom voice on right now, I do. Um, so people are precious. Target employees are precious. Um, the people who are buying these products with whom you might have a different worldview, those people are precious. And so I just want to start there. So um, Target, in response to the social backlash, um, in some stores across the country, has moved these products to the back of the store. Which, of course, then created a counter-protest. Um, and you will, you know, now hear hot white language about how Target is being held hostage. Um, so let me, or, you know, Target is moving trans people to the back of the bus. This is language that's out there today. So let me just be clear about this. Language matters. People are precious is my first point. Um, people are precious, Every single one of the people we're talking about are made in the image of God. Regardless of how they're living, regardless of what they're selling, regardless of where they're working, people are precious. My second point is that language matters. Target is not, quote, being held hostage. And Target is not, quote, moving trans people to the back of the bus. Th these are... This is language that ought to be reserved for real situations of hostage taking and genuine situations of, you know, where a civil society is mistreating an entire category of people um, for something about themselves that they cannot change. <clears throat> so retailers decide what to sell. This is a retailer. Target is a retailer. It's a commercial enterprise. And retailers like Target decide what to sell and decide where to sell it. And placement in the store is strategic. If you've ever worked retail, you know um, there's a reason that milk and eggs are all the way in the back of the grocery store. Why is that? Why is that? And, and why have the dairy and the poultry people not been stomping around mad that their products aren't in the front of the store? Well, because they know it's literally something people can't live without, and they will travel all the way through the grocery store to get it. The same is true of these products. If people really want these products, people will find them. They don't have to be on an end cap, which is, you know, prime real estate in a retail store. So language matters, um, an understanding of, like, consumer culture matters, the free market is going to work this self, it work itself out. Like that's, you know, the free market works these issues out over time, um, which, you know, is me saying to you, you have a choice in terms of where you shop and what you buy. You have a choice. You live in a free market economy. And then finally, anger serves no one. I mean, anger serves no one. 
Um, so go out of your way today to be kind, particularly to somebody wearing a Target name tag. Like they actually feel targeted right now, right? That bullseye is now on them and anger serves no one. So go out of your way to be kind today, particularly to somebody who works for Target. That person is not the person who is making the decision about what Target sells or where they sell it. You as the consumer are the one making the choice in terms of what you buy and where you buy it. So, um, and just to say this, we got much bigger problems right now than Target. Um, In a recent NORC um, survey, which we will talk more about um, over the course of time because it's a massive survey. It's called the General Social Survey. Um, And we will talk more about this. But I just want to lift up this one. uh, It's not just a data point because a data point means nothing. A trend is what you're looking for. So the data point is this. Um, Half of Americans do not believe. They are not definitely sure that God exists. Now, only 7% of Americans come right out and say they do not believe in God. So there's a big difference there. There's, that means there's, there's 43% of Americans who would say they believe in God, but they're really not sure. They're not certain, which means they don't have a relationship with him. Because you are certain when you have a relationship with somebody, like you know they exist. Like you, you know, you know I exist because we talk with each other every single day. And, and I know you exist because you show up as a data point in my life. You show up on my text line. You show up in my email. Um, you show up in my social media. I am certain, just to be clear, that God exists. I'm not confused about this point. How am I certain? Creation itself bears enough witness for me to recognize that there is a God. Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth and took on human flesh to dwell among us, full of grace and truth to do what? To make God known to us, that we might know the Father. And then they sent the Holy Spirit. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, I not only know God exists, I know God. I have the testimony of witnesses, Moses, Elijah, Peter, James, John, Paul, and I have my own experience by which I testify. I know him. I walk with him. I talk with him. My friends, God exists. I want you to get to know him better and better. We got to take a break for Breakpoint. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right. Um, what's, what or who is on your prayer list today? What or who is on your prayer list today? Um, how are you praying about the people and the places and the things on your prayer list? And how do you know that God is hearing your prayers? We're going to talk with Ray Comfort about his new book, How to Make Sure God Hears Your Prayers. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. What a joy to be joined today by Ray Comfort. You know him and the Living Waters Ministry. You can find Ray and his ministry at livingwaters.com. Ray, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Great to be with you. Thank you. So you have um, you have this wonderful conversational book, um, How to Make Sure God Hears Your Prayers. And I think I want to start with the question that's really provoked by the title. Like, are, are people worried that God's not hearing them? No, people don't think God, people think God hears everything we say and everything sees everything we do. And they're right in one respect. 
So whether or not God hears our prayers doesn't really matter at all until you're hanging from a thousand foot cliff by your teeth or you're upside down at 20,000 feet in severe turbulence. That's when you need to know if God hears your prayers. And uh, if you want to visit the King of England, you want an audience with him, you don't go in your pajamas. There are certain mm. things you have to do, a certain etiquette. And it's like that with God on steroids. The Bible says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? He that has clean hands and a pure heart. It says in, a book, in the book of Isaiah, your sins are made a separation between you and your God, so he will not hear. Uh, the psalmist says, if I have iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't hear you. It means he takes no notice, and that's what you don't want. You don't want God to hear you, but take no notice of your prayers, because these are often life and death issues. So it's vital we look at what the instruction book says on how to approach the King of Kings. So, Ray, you approach this with seriousness, with an acknowledgement that God really is, and that the God who really is must be approached for who he is, and as he has laid out for us. I think that the casual approach that a lot of people take to God as if, well, you know, God would be privileged to hear from me, like, right, like, um, you are seeking really to turn that on its head. Yeah, we tend to treat God how the average church treats treats the sound man. Everything's Mm -hmm. fine when the sound's working. I mean, sound could be working for a year with no problems. The moment there's a screech through the microphone or it just goes dead, everyone turns around and glares at the sound man like, Get it together, buddy. What are you doing? And people treat God the same way. When there's Mm -hmm. flowers and birds and trees and blue skies and things are going great, no one even thinks of God. But when things go wrong, they hold their fist and say, what do you think you're doing? You know, you're not Mm -hmm. treating me wrong. They treat like like the sound man or like a divine butler or celestial Santa Claus. And it really shows they have no fear of God before their eyes, as the scriptures say. The Bible says of Jesus, he was heard in that he feared and that's speaking of the fear of God. And, and Jesus spoke of the fear of God often. In fact, he said this. He said, fear not him who has power to kill your body and afterwards do no more, but fear him who has power to kill your body and cast your soul into hell. Fear him. And what he was saying wasn't, you know, if some guy's going to attack you with a knife, in a sense he was saying that's nothing, can, nothing to be feared compared to the fear that you should have for God. And people don't have that. And, and that's what that's, is most necessary for them to depart, from, to depart from evil. The Bible says, through the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Let me share something that was a little personal. When I was 16, this is six years before I became a Christian, I found myself in, a, in the dark behind a dance hall in long grass with a 16-year-old gorgeous female. And it was just like heaven for me. I mean, I was my intentions were not honorable. But she said something that put the fear fear of God in me. And it was very powerful. One even a Christian, she just said this, you know what? God's watching us. And it was like a bucket of ice came from the heavens and just caused great steam. I said, let's go inside. And, and I look back and think that was the fear of God causing me to depart from evil. Mm-hmm. And the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And that's what the world needs. We need to put the fear of God in them, cause them to sweat a little. If I may use another analogy, just let me know if I'm talking too much. It's like a doctor, he has a cure to cancer sitting on his desk and he sees a man in front of him who is dying of cancer, but the guy thinks he's incredibly well, he's fit and healthy. Is the doctor going to give him the cure immediately or is he going to show him the x-rays? Well, he'd be foolish to give him the cure because the guy thinks he's well. He's going to say, I don't don't need this, get it out of my face, I'm well. What do you give me this for? But if he shows him the x-rays, it makes him sweat a little and say, whoa, this is deadly serious, what should I do? 
and gives them the cure after he's seen the x-rays, that's when he'll appreciate and appropriate the cure. And what's happened in our nation is we have given the cure without looking at the x-rays. Almost everyone in America knows John 3.16. Jesus died on the cross. Yeah, big deal. Don't push that religion down my throat. I don't need it. I'm a good person. That's happened because we haven't shown them the x-rays. And the x-rays are the Ten Commandments. That's what we've got to do is open up that divine law as Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount. Show a sinner that lust is adultery in God's eyes, hatred is murder, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. All liars are their part in lake of fire. No thief, no blasphemer, no adulterer, no fornicator will inherit God's kingdom. That makes them sweat when they hear that moral law opened up and they realize God sees their thought life and there's nothing hid from them. Suddenly the fear of God fills their heart. They say, what should I do? And that's when you bring in the glorious gospel. That's when you say Christ died for our sins. He took the punishment so we could go free and rose from the dead and defeated death. And that's what's been missing in our nation. That's what we need to get back to. And that was the essence of the preaching of Spurgeon and Wesley and Moody and Whitfield and others down through the ages that were so effective in reaching the lost. We're talking with Ray Comfort. The book is How to Make Sure God Hears Your Prayers. And we're talking about the requirement of repentance and obedience, which also means we must understand what sin really is. So we're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Listen to Faith Radio live or on demand no matter where you go. Download the free Faith Radio app at your app store today. Continuing our conversation now with Ray Comfort, we're talking about his new book, How to Make Sure God Hears Your Prayers. You can also connect with Ray online at livingwaters.com. Um, Ray, let's um let's talk about reverential awe or let's talk about the fear of the Lord. I think those are two ways of understanding the same concept. And I think neither one of them is really uh something with which this generation is very familiar. We don't we don't consider God as one who should be feared, and we don't consider reverential awe as necessarily, um, you know, a, a particularly positive attribute. But if we're going to understand God for who he is, and we're going to see ourselves, honestly, for who we really are, um, that's going to that's gonna require um, both this holy fear and this reverential awe, as well as seeing myself and understanding my need for true repentance. Yeah. Um... How do you get the fear of God as a Christian? The unsaved certainly need the fear of God to depart from sin, but how do we continue to depart from sin perpetually, which is what repentance is? Well, we could move to Texas, and we could watch a thunderstorm and let the lightning and thunder scare the living daylights out of us. That puts the fear of God in our hearts. It does with me. And I've been in, in thunder that just makes you just shake. I mean, I think it's just so wonderful. But the other way we could do it is just look at Scripture. Look at how God killed a husband and wife in the book of Acts because they told one lie, or how Uzzah steadied the ark with his hand and God killed him because he was disobedient, or how God killed a man in Genesis 38 because he didn't like what he did sexually. Or we could look at what Moses uh, was told by God when God says, show me your glory. Sorry, when Moses said to God, I'll start that again. Or we could look at Moses where he said to God, show me your glory, and God says, you can't see me and live. He says, I'll tell you what I'll do, and this is comfort paraphrase. He says, I'll put you in a cleft of a rock, and I'll let my goodness pass you by. He said, what? No, Moses asked to see the glory of God, not the goodness of God. And mm. the point that God was making is that it's the goodness of God that would have killed Moses if he stood in his presence. He said, how does that work? 
Well, think of a judge who's got before him a heinous criminal that's raped and murdered, strangled to death, a 10-year-old girl. If that judge is a good judge, he will be furious. He'll bring down that gavel in wrath, and his wrath will be dependent on his goodness. If he's not a good judge, he'll say, oh, six months. But if he's a good judge, his wrath will be in direct proportion to his goodness. And the Bible teaches us that God is the essence of absolute holiness and goodness. And if you and I stood in his presence, he would kill us like grease lightning in an instant because his wrath or his justice demands it. And so God hid Moses in the cleft of a rock. And that's a type of us being hidden from the wrath of God in Christ. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let my let me hide myself in thee. And so that's the sort of reverential awe that we should stand in. And that's the sort of thing that keeps me from looking at pornography, the pleasure of pornography or getting involved in gossip. I fear God. I know the eye of the Lord is in every place beholding the evil and the good. Let me share one other thing about the fear of God that I think is very relevant. In New Zealand, where I'm from, uh, I haven't uh, 30, 40 years ago, the police uh, uh, didn't use guns. They used little sticks that hit people with sticks. A criminal was naughty, that hit him with a stick, as they did in England. It's now They've now moved to guns because of the way the world has gone. But when I came over here, that left me with an advantage over every open-air preacher I knew. Because when a police officer would walk up to me, and it's happened over a dozen times in an open-air preaching, and say, I want you to stop, I would just look at him and say to myself as he walked towards me, he's got a gun. This man can legally shoot me if I move too quickly. Uh, he thinks his life is in danger. My life is over with one pull of a trigger. And so I had more than a reverential fear for the police. I was fearful of what he could do to me. He could kill me. And that's the sort of fear Jesus is speaking of when he talks of facing God. Fear not him as power to kill your body and afterwards do no more, but fear him as power to kill your body and cast your soul into hell. That's the fear of God that sinners need to depart from their beloved sins. And then as Christians, we're sheltered from that wrath. The trigger, uh, the bullet came to Jesus, so it wouldn't come to us. So we have nothing to fear in that sense, but we're in, we're in awe of God and his greatness and his power, and especially at the extreme he went to to fulfill his righteousness through the cross. That cross not only speaks to us of God's love, but it speaks to us of his holiness, and it should make us tremble. Ray, when you when you think of maybe the the person for whom you really wrote this book, is there an individual who comes to mind? Boy, it really is, number one, Christians. I, I really want Christians to be motivated by the fear of God. Uh, to See, I think that's going to surprise people. I think it's going to surprise people that Ray Comfort wrote this book to Christians. I mean, this is written to those of us who consider ourselves followers of Jesus, but who have absolutely um, become maybe overly confident um, in the love of God, and we have forgotten his holiness. And we have imagined yeah. that we we can approach him with um, something less than obedient, repentant hearts. Yeah, it's the whole God is my buddy kind of thing. It's just we should be in fear and trembling. And not only that, the fear of God should motivate us to obey him. I think mm -hmm. the Apostle Paul said, I didn't, he did say, wherefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Once you have a right concept of God, you are horrified for the ungodly, that they're mm -hmm. under his wrath, 
And if they die in their sins, to, to say it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God is the understatement of eternity. And so that fear of God should be motivating us and uh, encouraging us to to obey him. Uh, I think the Great Commission is such a reproach on human nature. Uh, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You think of a doctor who's found a cure to cancer, all around him people are dying of cancer. Should we have to say to him, now go and take that cure to those patients that are dying? No, he shouldn't have to be told. Compassion should motivate him and he should run to them. And so we shouldn't have to be commanded to take the gospel to every creature and go there with our feet dragging. No, we should be just like the disciples saying, oh, I cannot but speak that which we've seen and heard. So that's the fear of God moving over to help the Christian. And the other thing is I'd love the book to be given to someone who is praying and feeling that their prayers aren't getting past the ceiling. And it's probably true because they've never found a place of biblical repentance. So they need the Lord to bring the knowledge of sin to cause them to tremble as they depart from sin and trust in the Savior, then they can be assured, like Jesus, that they're heard and that they fear. Ray, I'm thinking right now of people who, you know, they've made that transaction. They've they've done that. Um, they've done that transactional work with God. They have received the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Um, they are counting on Him for their salvation. But this notion that repentance is um, not only ongoing, but sort of ever deepening. That is not a part of what they have understood to be um, the Christian life. Can you can you revisit that particular point? Like this is something that is ongoing for each and every one of us as we grow up in every way into Christ, and we become more and more convicted of our sin over time, not less and less. Yes, I often hear preachers that are very sincere talk about forgiveness in Christ and talk about trusting in Jesus and talking about all these different things, but they never mention hell. And there's a reason for it. It's because they don't open up the divine law. Hell makes no sense if we don't open up those commandments. Neither does sin make sense. Remember what it was that caused Felix to tremble? Paul reasoned with him of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Righteousness, which is of the law, obviously Felix was intemperate, and judgment by the law. So there's no point in repenting if you don't know what sin is. If you really do think you're a Christian and you're a good person at the same time, then you're in contradiction with the words of Jesus. He said, there's none good but God. And often I meet Christians that really, they love the Lord and they've got a sincere sort of faith. And I say to them, do you think you're a good person? They say, I'm a really good person. So, well, you've you got a problem. I said, I'm going to change your mind in 15 seconds. They said, do it. So Jesus said, there's none good but God who's lying, you or Jesus. And they say, "Uh uh-oh, it's me. Because Jesus, when he said there's none good, immediately opened up those commandments. He said, you know the commandments. That's what he said to the rich young ruler. So without that law, we won't see the serious nature of sin. It's uh, the Apostle Paul's words, by the commandment, sin became exceedingly sinful. And so if you don't bring up the commandments, you're like Nathan who approached David and said, David, God has a wonderful plan for your life. He didn't say that. He didn't say there's something missing in your life, David. He says, why have you you despised the commandment of the Lord? He said, you are the man. He pointed it out. And that's what Paul does in Romans chapter 2. You who say you shall not steal, do you steal? You say you shall not commit adultery, 
Do you commit adultery? And that's what's missing in the life of many professed Christians. They've never seen sin in its true light. So repentance isn't perpetual for them. And they've never had a fear of God because they've never understood the character and nature of God according to Scripture. Hmm. Ray, what a gift to have a conversation with you today, and thank you so much for the book. The book is How to Make Sure God Hears Your Prayers. You can connect with Ray and um, and actually order the book in bulk for you and um, and your friends. Livingwaters.com is where you're going to find that. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Psalm 4, verse 1. Ray, thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Oh, thanks for helping me. I really enjoyed myself. Thank you. Yeah, likewise. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. All right, we actually do have some copies of Ray's book to give away, How to Make Sure God Hears Your Prayers. In order to enter the drawing for the books that we have um, on hand, you need to go to myfaithradio.com slash book, myfaithradio.com slash book. Why is that? Because our text line is not working. We're having a technical difficulty with our texting. And so in order to enter the drawing for the copies of Ray Comfort's How to Make Sure God Hears Your Prayers, go to myfaithradio.com slash book. All right, um, as we conclude our conversation here today, um, I want to circle back to just briefly to this, you know, cultural note of significance and, and certainly a note of significance to the, to the friends and loved ones of Tina Turner. But Tina Turner uh, died yesterday. Uh, she was 83 years old. Um, I learned in the coverage that uh, she was a Buddhist when she died. Um, the song that you're going to hear referred to over and over and over again is what's love got to do with it. And I want us to be prepared to answer that question because love has everything to do with it. Scripture tells us that God is love. It's not that God is loving. It's that God is love. It is the substance of his character. It, it is more than a secondhand emotion. It is the very character of the living God who created the universe, who relates even now to you. And how does he relate to you? In love. You can hear the love of God described in 1 Corinthians 13. Um, love is not just who God is. It is how God behaves. It is what God has done. It is out of love that God sent Jesus. What has love got to do with it? Everything. So when culture asks you a question, like what's love got to do with it, and even does so in a provocative song, be prepared to answer with the honest God-given answer to the question. And where would you find that? You would find that in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments of the Bible. So where in the word are you today? Spend a little time in John 3.16 and consider what it means that God is love and in love what God has done. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.